listening to KNBR, the only place with Golden State Warriors basketball. Now back to Ralph and Tom. All right, uh, Ralph and Tom are off right now, so Ted Robinson pinch hitting. I'm going to take you to 7 o'clock tonight. The Warriors are in Portland tonight, then back home tomorrow night to play Dallas, and it will be the second annual Bollywood night in Oakland tomorrow night. Special Bollywood entertainment throughout the evening. Uh, pre-game performances, halftime performances. There'll be Indian food options available uh, to be uh, purchased throughout the arena tomorrow night and a limited edition Bollywood night T-shirt to the first 17,000 fans in attendance. Tickets at warriors.com are still available to, uh, for this night tomorrow night, Bollywood night uh, presented by Adobe. It's tomorrow night for the Warriors in Dallas. And uh, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about the Warriors right now, and I have not had a chance to say hello to Bob Myers, the assistant general manager uh, of the Warriors. Bob, thank you for joining us. Ted, thanks for having me. Um, I would never correct you under any circumstances, but we play Portland tomorrow, and Bollywood night is on Thursday. I'm sorry. So thank you. Yeah. It's okay. It's no, okay. That, that, Bob, this is what happens when you get old. You lose track of nights. You're right. Portland tomorrow. And and Bollywood night is Thursday, yes. so thank you for yes. paying attention to what I'm saying. I, I don't want our parking lot to be full of irate people. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, you're right. We're wondering what happened to Bollywood night, but um, we're excited. We play Portland tomorrow night, and uh, excuse tomorrow night, and then you got me confused now. And, and Bollywood night yeah. against the Mavericks, Vivek Ranadive, one of our owners, spearheaded that, and, and we had great success with it last year, and we're excited about it, and. Um, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, he'll be on hand along with Jerry West. So, again, Thursday night, let's make sure we get that right, everybody. Thursday night at the <laughs> arena, go to warriors.com. They have the date right. Trust me on that. Yeah, um, got it. Got uh, it. Uh, Bob, we have a mutual friend, Justin Gimmelstab, uh, who I just, spent the I, week, I just spent the weekend with, and he tells me that he actually was a pretty good basketball player. So I have to ask you, since you roomed with him apparently at UCLA, you need to shoot yeah. that rumor down. Um, I'll give you a good story about Justin. And for people listening, he's a professional tennis player. Ted, and you guys call called the U.S. Open and other sports, right? I mean, that's that's you work with him on the Tennis Channel. Yes, that, exactly. That's how you know him, right? Good. Right. Justin's so, a really and a really great sports fan. Yeah, we could have a whole segment on Justin. <laughs> you, you, if people don't know him, you know, you, you'd find that out quickly with him. But we played in a rec league, and um, after I finished playing at UCLA, and he was a tennis player. And it, it was competitive. It was some ex-college players, some guys that played overseas. And we got into a pretty competitive game, and we had brought Justin to the game because we needed a fifth guy. And sometimes in these rec leagues, you're trying to scrounge up players. So we grabbed Justin because we live with him. We said, hey, we need a fifth. So he showed up, and the game was competitive. It went into overtime. And as we're throwing the ball up, Justin, in front of everybody, said, Hey, guys, give me the ball. I'm the only professional athlete out here. I'm the only one making any money playing this sport. And you can imagine the guys, everybody was furious because he was, he was the worst guy out there. And he was taunting the other team to professional athlete on the floor, which he, he correct was he was still playing professional tennis. So he's, uh, he's not an uh, underconfident guy. He no. certainly believes in his own ability. Uh, but he was fun. He's a fun um, he's a great guy. Great uh, guy. He's a very uh, he's a wonderful guy. Very smart and really terrific. Uh, you know, he's about six. God, Justin's probably about six five, isn't he? He's yeah, good. Good no, he's got size. Not a super athlete, Ted. Not a super right. athlete, though. You know, he's not a, a rim rocker. He was never uh, above the rim player. <laughs> that's my line. Guy. That's that's what I need to take back to. But thank you for telling me that. He, uh, he he talks a lot about the fact he's a proud Bruin that he and Bob lived together when you were playing at UCLA. So right. so so let me shift this to the Warriors, Bob, real quick. Uh, 
it, the guy that as the season goes on and you and you're playing out these last couple of weeks, I'm fascinated to hear you talk about Jeremy Tyler. Uh, he's right. getting he's getting a chance to play, and of course his story for those who may not be totally aware, he's a rare guy in that he actually left his high school in San mm-hmm. Diego, went to play overseas for two years before yep. and with I think very mixed results before he was a- eligible to be drafted. Mm-hmm. And I'm just interested to hear you you know talk about what you think about how that's affected his development, where he is as a player right now, and clearly you're giving him a chance. You're giving him a great chance to get a lot of minutes here down the end of the season. He, Ted, he comes from a very unique background. I don't think anybody before or since has left high school a year early. And um, it was on the heels of Brandon Jennings, who's a successful point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks, going to Rome, Italy, and then coming back to the NBA and, and doing a nice job. So, the model had been written a little bit and with some success with, with what Brandon Jennings did and, and in some sense thumbing a, uh, yourself at the NBA saying, hey, we don't, have to go to, we don't have to spend a year in college. The rule states one year removed from high school, so why not go make some money uh, instead of going to college for a year? So that's the premise of the argument to go. And Jeremy took it a year earlier, went to Israel, and for any 17-year-old, I don't know if you recall, was it 60 or 70 years ago when you were a junior in high school? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you were... You're, you're, but, but, yeah. You kidding me? I didn't know which which hand was my left hand. Are you kidding me? Let alone go to Israel to play basketball. Right, right. So he's playing against professionals, um, which is which was a eye opener for him. And he did okay, mixed results. I think he said it well. And then he came back, uh, then decided to go to Japan, where the competition wasn't nearly as good. He got to play a lot more, developed some confidence, but it also didn't wasn't a dominant dominant player, but played well. And then now he comes to the NBA, and so I think. For us, it was a very interesting decision that we had to make because on talent alone, he was very intriguing, but you didn't get to see him play against the top college players like you would most any other player in the draft. And so you had to base it on what did he do in Japan, what did he do in Israel, how did he look at his workouts. And for us, the, the risk of taking a player in the second round is low, and the reward is high because you can get him on good contracts, and it's not for a seven foot six ten guy – it's not a big risk to say let's spend a second-round pick on him, which we did. And that was the logic behind it. Uh, we wish when we traded for Andrew Bogut, he was healthy and could help us make a run for the playoffs. We knew when we traded for him it would be hard for him to come back this season. So what has happened now is it's given Jeremy Tyler a chance to play a lot of minutes. It's given us a chance to get a good look at him. And it's been great. And, and look, he's learning on the fly. You don't get better playing basketball unless you're playing basketball. I mean, it's hard to get better at it playing two-on-two, working with the coaches one-on-zero. One on so to put him out there against players five-on-five, five, you cannot duplicate that experience. He's been good. Some games very good, some games just good. But we're putting up against good players, and he's, he's doing what he can. That, that's the reason I ask you, because obviously the Bogut trade, was, we all understand, was rooted in this search for a big guy. Well, you got a guy there on your roster. And I'm just curious, Bob, where, I mean, would you gauge that he has a huge upside, Jeremy Tyler? You know what? I think he could. I think the thing with him is he definitely has a huge upside because of this reason. As you walk through life, you don't come across 6'10 people with, with seven five wingspans. They just don't. As you go through your daily life, whether you're in, in any country, any part of the world, people like that don't exist. When, when a 6'10", 7-foot guy walks by you in the airport, I don't care what you're doing, you look up because it's a unique sight. That's why when Yao Ming walked by people, yeah, he was an NBA player, but he's huge. Shaquille O'Neal is a huge human being. They don't make people like that. So 
you do have great upside when you're 6'10", 6'11", great wingspan, and are athletic because they don't make people like that. But it's up to Jeremy and us to cultivate it into a point where he's a consistent NBA player where it's not one night he's good, one quarter he's good. That's where he's got to develop the maturity, and we have to help him get there where night in and night out you can count on him. It's, it's a situation where he's 25, 26, 27 years old, and you know when you put him in the game he's going to get X amount of rebounds or X amount of points or get X amount of defensive stops. He's not there yet. We didn't expect him to be. But if you can draft a player in the second round that's a big guy that can do that, then, yeah, I would say he's got a, a big amount of upside. We're talking with Bob Myers, the assistant GM for the Warriors. Bollywood night will be Thursday night in Oakland when the Warriors host Dallas with all of the accompaniment and entertainment and food options. Tickets are at warriors.com. Bob, from your viewpoint, how good will this year's draft be? It's good. It's good. I think it's it's, rules prevent me from commenting specifically on players. Right, right. I'm just the overall strength of the field. Yeah. Yeah. You're not like Tom and Ralph trying to get you in trouble and say players' names. I'm, I'm not I'm doing that to you. No, I'm talking overall strength of the of the draft field. It's good. It's deep. Uh, probably because a lot of players decided to go back to school last year because of the pending lockout that was upcoming. So you had a, you had a lot of players that could have come out in 2011 that chose not to with the uncertainty of the labor dispute. So they decided to go back to school. Now they're all most are coming out. Uh, so what you have is a very deep draft. I don't know that there's a there's obviously some good players at the top. I don't know that there's a certain LeBron James type player that exists where you know 100% this guy's going to change your franchise for the next 15 years. I don't know that that player exists. But but I would say that you have within it um it's, it, when you go through the draft head and I think this happens in a lot of sports it certainly happens in the NBA you write down how many players you like how many players you feel like could help your team. And sometimes you run out after 15, 16 guys, and you say, you know, man, this draft isn't too deep. With this draft, I can tell you, you can probably list 30 to 40 names where you say, I like this guy, I like that guy, I'd be happy to get this guy, and it goes on and on and on. And that's what's unique about this draft. It's got a lot of depth to it. Okay, that that's interesting. I want to get to that in a second. I'm just thinking because I actually had a chance to broadcast the uh, NCAA games in Louisville where Kentucky played the first weekend. And I st- stood next to and talked a little bit to Anthony Davis, and here's a 6'11 kid with about a 19-foot wingspan. <laughs> and when I saw him in person, I was blown away. I mean, it was, you know, you hear, you hear all the stuff, and you hear the hype, and you hear the buildup, and then you think there's no way anybody can live up to it. My God, this guy's blocking three-point shots? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well... When, when I'm authorized to comment on it, yeah, I know, I know. Player, I will, but but I can tell you what I mean. Um, in any draft, on a general sense, you you hope um, that it's, it's a draft, and especially you know, depending on where you're picking, that you can get a player that can really help you, and that that's the best you can look at it. But as you analyze a draft in any sport, um, and you do a lot of football, you do a lot of baseball. Uh, the, the thing that is interesting about the NBA is. It is the one sport. You look at football and maybe even baseball, and there are undrafted players, players that aren't drafted in the NFL or in Major League Baseball potentially, uh, that turn out to be very, very good, that, that, that everybody misses on. In the NBA, it's very rare um, that that does happen, that you find a player that – and there's only 60 picks. There's only 60 players uh, that you're choosing from. So usually most teams, you know, yes, nobody's perfect in the draft, but – Usually you, 
within those 60, you get the right 60 somehow, some way. You don't find too many Ben Wallaces of the world that are undrafted and that turn out to be all-stars. It's, it's, it's a very unique thing to find. Yeah, that, that's an absolutely perfect analogy, too, because you're exactly right. And football is the greatest example of how certain teams have, have a dozen or 15 undrafted players in the NFL out of 50. And that, uh, that doesn't, so that leads to the obvious question, which is then how significant is it to try to keep this draft pick this year? if the draft is this good or perhaps this deep? I think you have to view everything on your team, including your draft picks, as assets. So as you analyze your team and you analyze each player on your team, you have to say, how many assets have you compiled? How valuable are your assets to yourself, to you, uh, in order to win, and to the rest of the league? And as you look at the draft, and I said this to somebody else, the draft to me is like a party where you're invited to the draft. Now, sometimes you don't have a pick at all. So you're, you're kind of on the lawn looking through the window saying, like, hey, can I get in and get a glass of champagne? Or can, you know, and, the, and the usher bouncer is saying, no, you're not. And get out of here. You don't even have a pick. And then it can go so far as having right now we have three with the potential to get four. So when you say that, why does that – why do I use that analogy? Because when you have that many assets during a draft period, the calls come to you. Teams look at you and say, man, the Warriors have three picks. And if we have four, it's even more – hey, let's call them and let's see if they would trade us this. Let's see if we can trade them that. And you have a ton to offer, um, including what's on your roster, which you can either do something with or not. But draft picks are to be viewed as assets. So, yes, if you have our high pick, it just, as another one, adds another piece that is valuable, valuable to you to use or valuable to move or valuable to turn into another player. gives you a ton of options. So, Bob, help the uh, people like me. Just tell me the picks you have, the three picks you have right now are which ones? Right where you have San Antonio, which seems like they never lose. They actually lost last night, I think, because they rested their three best players, which Popovich right. tends to do right. at his own whims. Um, so you have San Antonio's first? Yes. Okay. So that can be, I would imagine, that's probably 27, 28, 29, 30. One of those. I, don't, I have to look. and It right. depends on how teams finish up. depends on if they're going to really – Popovich was quoted the other day saying, I don't care if we're the one seed or not. So he may take his players and rest in the last five games of the year, and they may lose all those games. So maybe San Antonio's turns out that pick could turn out to be 28, 27, 26. I don't know. It probably won't drop below 27, I would imagine. So that's one. We then have New Jersey second, which is anywhere from 36 to 38, 39, depending on how they finish probably. Um, and then we have the worst of Atlanta or Phoenix. So whoever finishes worst, so you're looking at a pick there between, I don't know, 45 and 55, uh, probably 48 and 52 more like. So we have those three uh, right now. And then we have the potential. Uh, our first-round pick is protected to the bottom seven, right. uh, or, or you could say top seven. So if after the lottery, which is May 30th, we end up with a pick in the top seven, we keep it. If we end up in a pick with a pick outside of the top seven, meaning eight to 30, we don't. So that's kind of a complicated answer, but that's, that is the answer to what pick And that's, you no, know, Bob, and Bob Myers is with us, and thank you for, because that's the question I wasn't clear of. So the pick, the determination of your existing first, which is obligated to Utah, something you inherited, by the way, um, is dependent on what the lottery is. It's not the final standings. It's the lottery outcome. Yeah, it's how you – yes, yes. It's determined – like, for example, let's say our team was finished the seventh-worst record. 
um, it, that doesn't mean you have your pick. That means that if a team from 8 to 14 were to jump up into the 1, 2, 3 spots, which is a lottery-determined picks, and you drop down to 8, your pick isn't yours. Right. Now that's what I'm asking. So it depends on the lottery. Right. right. Exactly. Or, or you finish 10th, and the balls favor you when they drop, and you right. go to 1, 2, 3. You know, right. So, yeah. Yeah, All right. Well, it's a, it's a tough situation, as we referenced. It's something that the ownership and, and Bob, this is something you inherited, and you have to live with the, the consequences of it. But man, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's a tough it's a tough way to play out these final weeks of the season. All right, so let me let me wrap up with Bob Myers this way. Justin, by the way, has asked me to ask you about Charles O'Bannon, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, uh, what what would you like to see, Bob? What are you going to look to see from the team the last well, I think it was two and a half, three weeks to go in the season? You know what? I love seeing the young guys develop. You love seeing the heart of a guy like David Lee who continues to compete in big minutes. You like to see what Richard Jefferson is doing, which is a player we acquired in the trade to get Bogut. Uh, again, the development of Charles Jenkins, Clay Thompson, uh, our coaching staff, finishing a season that really was a jammed, packed season because of the lockout. To play this many games um, really is Nobody has a ton of sympathy for professional athletes. They make a ton of money. They have a good life. But in any event, this has been a schedule that is unique because there's been so many games so crowded together. So there are nights where players just – we got pounded last night. Um, uh, And thank you for not asking about it, but we got crushed by by Denver. And part of the reason is, is I think, and this isn't an excuse, every team faces it. But you play so many games. They just pile up and pile up and pile up. And to get up for every one – uh, is a challenge. So I've admired the effort that our team has given. We've been competitive. There are uh, anomalies like last night where we I don't think we were competitive, and I don't think anybody would say we were. But for the most part, to see guys grow, to see the team develop, to see Clay Thompson learning how to play with David Lee, to see Charles Jenkins and evaluate whether he can be a backup point guard, to see the guy we discussed, Jeremy Tyler, grow uh, before our eyes. So been been good for those reasons. And just continue to watch those things and monitor them. Hey, Bob, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Look forward to meeting you somewhere down the line. Absolutely. Say hello to our guy, Justin. He's getting married pretty soon. uh, Yes, he is in a month's time. (laughs) It's an an extravaganza. They're cutting no corners. I love it. All right. right, Ted. Thanks, Bob. That is Bob Myers, the assistant GM of the Warriors. Again, Bollywood night is Thursday night. I get that right finally.